Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode four of Two Gays, One Episode. I'm Alex. And I am Go Jesus. And today we're going to be covering episode uh, 15, as well as episodes uh, 13 and 14 of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yeah. <laughs> Which, one of these is probably one of my favorite episodes of the whole series, maybe, as a contender for my favorite episode of the whole series. Yeah, uh, and that's I've, episode fifteen. This episode fifteen is like in my top three easily, but uh, um, which is weird because nothing happens in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the lowest stakes, arguably the lowest stakes episode of the whole show in a lot of ways, and uh, but I appreciate that about it. I think it it makes it really different because uh, Ava is a pretty action oriented kind of series for the most part. So, um. Mm-hmm. But first, we're gonna have to talk about the uh, other two episodes. Yeah, we just we just want to recap the whole show, in, in at least in passing. Yeah. Um, uh, I was I was gonna quickly say about episode uh, fifteen. The episode description is also just like Masato goes to a wedding. Shinji visits his mother's grave. Like it's the most like non entity. <laughs> it's just like the most strange plot description. <sighs> so anyway. Episode 13 is essentially about the, this angel infiltrates uh, Nerve headquarters, and it's a very Ritzko kind of centric episode. Yeah, we, we open with Ritzko and Maya just kind of chilling in the computer room. Yeah. Uh, this is another Akio Satsukawa episode, by the way. He, he loves writing these sort of uh, sneaky, low key, character driven episodes, which I love. So, I, I mean, I can't get enough of those. Um, yeah, we get some excellent fan service as well this episode uh, for the three minors mm-hmm. in the show. Yes. Uh, as well, I guess if you're into that, I guess it's fan service. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, they're in the showers and they're kind of out of commission. Uh, this is this is an episode Two that gays, has to one do jail sentence coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the, no, it's good in the sense that we establish that the Ava pilots are indisposed and um, both figuratively and literally, and mm-hmm. uh, the adults have to kind of deal with everything. This is this is like the adults taking matters into their own hands, and this is the uh, probably the first time that we. No, I was going to say this is the first time we get it. No, that's not true. Um, it's good to see this since. Uh, the the day nerve stood still or the day tokyo 3 stood still i mean um that we kind of see like the adult characters in an active role in an action set piece because it is pretty rare i think yeah that was the opposite actually it's the adults are unavailable and the kids have to kind of solve the problem themselves almost i think weren't the adults kind of just like oh pull get the uh the entry plug oh yeah they have to get the ava ready manually but the the they have they don't have the adults to tell them what to do that's the main thing about that episode yeah but this is kind of like a nice role reversal in that way you're right uh yeah and uh it's cool to see another ritsuko masato uh you know episode yeah, I love mm-hmm. um so it's, it's a like, ritsuko story yeah it's a it's a ritsuko centric story like even more so than uh jet alone so much more so really yeah though um, i love a role in jet alone we get to so we get to sort of see Ritzko, um like a glimpse into her past and her history with her mother and the tension there between mm-hmm. her and her mom 
and her mom is now a supercomputer that is called the Magi system. Named after the Magi from the Bible, in case no one knows that. And uh, we uh, obviously, we get a lot of exposition really quickly in this one bit where... um, we have we establish we establish the visualization element of the magic how they are perceived with the the view screen right with the three squares and each name Malkior, uh casper and balthazar uh, th- yeah balthazar uh listed so that later on when it becomes relevant that that what is happening to them we ha- we understand we understand it in terms of um what's the like mind to to body connect whatever anyway it's very quick it's a good way to do exposition the other bit of exposition we get here quickly is that maya is ritzko's student almost ritzko is the senior uh computer programmer or whatever and maya has a problem and ritzko very quickly solves it so those are two really important things that we get established in this early scene so what's kind of interesting is that um, as well with you were mentioning the three magi, the the, yeah. the ones who like visited Jesus. So what I kind of find to be interesting is that Caspar is is one of the big ones later in the EOE. It's the one that represents the mother mostly. Uh, nope, it's the it's that's it's the woman. It's the woman, right? Which they say um, in this episode, actually. Yeah. So basically. Uh, so Caspar represents the woman and that gift to Jesus was frankincense, um, which is kind of interesting because it's used, it's, it's a, it's basically a resin that is used in lotions and perfumes. And so it, it actually helps with aging skin specifically. It's kind of like a anti-aging kind of thing. So it's Hmm. sort of interesting that it kind of represents the, the youthful woman in naoko you know as yeah a, as and i one. mean when they say it represents her as a woman what they mean is as a lover as a uh basically as a lover <laughs> that's more or less what they mean when they say it's, it's yeah her as a mother but, but i, I think don't it... remember which one's which otherwise it's it's scientist mother and woman i just think it's kind yeah. of interesting you know that that's that oh that, absolutely that they chose that one for... Do you think there's any significance otherwise? Like uh, I don't know which one brought gold and which one brought myrrh, but um, I think there's, I think it's just an interesting uh kind of parallel. They seem to do that a lot in Ava, where it's mostly like things are not one to one with biblical uh sort of stuff, mm-hmm. but th- there is a lot of connections and tying, and so I think yeah. it's just, I think it's interesting to have that one be chosen for for something that's like. Because perfume and lotion and, and like, anti-aging just feels like it kind of works really well with representing... It's also a major theme of the... uh, Yeah, the whole instrumentality project is kind of, like, about... That, too, but but even more specifically about Ritzko and Nauka, them growing older, them wanting to be relevant. Like, they they almost give up their youth in pursuit of their higher pursuit, their scientific pursuits. yeah. So I guess Nauka was married at some point, or at least something, because <laughs> she has a daughter. So she has a daughter. She doesn't have a husband, and 
she got her daughter into science like pretty immediately like it, there was a push to not even have a mother-daughter relationship between Ritsko and Naoko so I think that's that is interesting yeah. there's like a deprioritate deprioritization of like deprioritizing kind of like being yeah anything but a scientist so does Ritsko Ritsko says she hated her as a woman I know that as a mother doesn't she say like I didn't understand her or I didn't I didn't get her or I didn't relate to her as a mother at all, but I respected her as a scientist. Is that what she says? Yes. We, we just watched this. We're, we're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're allowed but, to uh, cut around all this. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> I could. Um, <laughs> uh, so quickly things go wrong they're doing a little test they have the like dummy avas uh with the pilots in them seeing i don't know how avas operate underwater or whatever the hell's going on and very quickly everything goes wrong an angel is breaking through into the into the nerve the angel for this episode is named iruel and he's the angel of terror um which is interesting i guess is because he's infiltrating the base he's he's a spooky scary virus i don't know i don't really have i don't know how meaningful this one is <laughs> yeah well i mean there's a lot about this episode that feels almost like it would be a budget episode you know and so yeah, like a bottle show yeah like a yeah like a bottleneck episode type of thing where if this mm -hmm. was in live action it would totally be one of those where they made this episode to save money for the other episodes oh, God, man we can't we can't have the big outdoor sets uh they just hang out in the nerve headquarters for a whole episode yeah and they create tension out of basically nothing it's just people screaming and running around so <laughs> i think it's <laughs> but i think it's cool it um it uh it, it's all animated so it definitely involved work to create this type of episode and mm -hmm. uh but i but it is sort of paying homage to that. And I don't know if there's an angel that in biblical lore that would work as a parallel to a virus in that way. The I don't even know if they understood the concept. I don't know if there is an angel of disease or not. Maybe uh, the angel of terror is the angel of disease. Maybe that's what it's known for. Yeah, maybe it's blight or something. I don't know. I'm but... not an expert on Hebrew angel lore. I just look it up on the Evangelion wiki before we record. Don't say that. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am an expert in Hebrew angel lore. Ask me anything. Uh... <laughs> um, okay, so what's really notable about this episode, I think, is just, uh, it's just like the fact that it is able to build tension from very little. It uses mm -hmm. exposition and cuts to create kind of dramatic tension in that sort of like almost like Star Wars episode four type of way where uh, they kind of just generate it by the way it's cut and the music and the characters and the dialogue. And by establishing what the stakes are early through exposition, it doesn't have to really have a flashy action set piece for this episode to still feel like there's a lot happening and a lot going on. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's a good episode to develop uh, Ritsuko and sort of show her friendship with Misato some more, which is always nice and cool. And you get a little bit of the bridge bunnies as well here. Yes, uh, yeah. particularly Maya. By the way, I just want to correct myself really fast. Uh, Sasuke did not write this episode. I don't know why I thought he did. 
but he did not. Who wrote this episode? It was Mitsuo Iso, and this is his only episode. Uh, he wrote it with Ano, though. So Mitsuo Iso is a animator on the show, and he did some key animation for the. Uh, he's he's a really notable animator. This this guy, I'm pretty sure, is responsible for the EOE Oscar fight, like the whole. Yeah. Oh, I think you're yeah. right. He's the guy that um also did the any kind of like naturalistic kind of looking Ava stuff. So later on in episode nineteen, he when he did key animation for episodes one nineteen and yeah, 21. in episode nineteen, Mitsuo Iso did uh the part where Ava Unit One kind of awakens and then devours Zeroel. We'll get there later, but he's just very well known for kind of right. naturalistic movements for like Ava's as giant people more than anything is type is the type of animation he does. He's a Oh, he worked on Cowboy Yeah, he oh, he worked on Cowboy Bebop and uh, um specifically the movie which is like breathtaking yes, animated. Yes. And uh Fully Cooly and a couple of other things. He's a very 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 uh notable animator. Um he recently directed a, a show called orbital children on netflix which i did watch uh that was yeah okay. it's it's not a very good show but it's actually well animated so he's a good animation director <laughs> <laughs> yeah he did deno coil as well which is a better show he directed that one um but yeah right so yes and he did this episode yes. which is pretty well written it was so well written i thought it was akio satsukawa who's my favorite writer on the show so there's that compliments to mitsu iso but yeah. Yes. Anything else you want to say about this, or are we ready to move on? Uh, well, we do. We have to mention the most. Oh, about the how episode, could I forget? Which is the fact that Kaji climbs a ladder, jumps over a gap, and then does a forward roll, and then never appears in the episode again. After yeah, Kaji. That's the best part. He never comes Kaji back. Kaji in an <laughs> iconic scene decides to dive roll off an elevator. Absolutely breathtaking, amazing, incredible. Um, so that was there to just show Kaji being a, a stealth master, sneaky, sneaky man. Um. <laughs> And uh, he's 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 going around nerve. He's looking for things. He's taking names. Uh, yeah. So that's a. Uh, there's no payoff to that here, but in in the broader scope of the show, it it definitely is relevant. So it's just he's he's up to no good. Yes. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is a lot of sort of really iconic reused shots that you see a couple of times in 19 and 24. Any anytime things are like going haywire. In the the nerve headquarters and the, uh, Makoto, which is the guy with the glasses, like him sort of like spinning and looking over his shoulder, and he looks all dramatic. That shot, I think, is from somewhere in this episode. The shot of Shigeru Aoba, who's the guy with the long hair, him just like looking really intensely at My the camera. My God, it's just disappeared. They reuse that. Li- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that line, that bit. No one's gonna know what we're talking about, but in the original dub. Uh, <laughs> Jason Lee has a, has a line where he says, my God, it just disappeared. And that's, it's that shot. Yeah, they use that 24. for that shot. Um, the, yeah. the computer that was reanimated for EOE with the Magi kind of going, yeah, it's from this episode too. So kind of fun. Uh, I, I think the shot of Ritzko with her like really weird bent hand on Maya's chair, looking over her shoulder. I think that's from it's this It's either episode. from this one or episode two or something with the, but anyway, yeah, it's... Oh, it might be from yeah. even earlier. You're right. Um, 
I think that one's from earlier. But yeah. it's there's a lot of animation that gets used here, and I actually don't mind that animation gets reused. For me, what's bad is when like plot beats start to repeat themselves. When like there are plot elements that are reused, or like uh, character arcs that repeat, or something like that. That's really the concern I have. I don't find animation that repeats to be an issue personally. I know there's a lot of people in the anime community who do care a lot about that and it could be distracting but i think to in casual or average viewer it's not very noticeable and at least for me like i don't think ava has um like all the plot elements uh are generally pushing things forward in new directions or the angels are demonstrating something new in the character dynamic character dynamics so I don't really mind that the animation gets reused because the plot elements don't really. So it's also not action scenes or anything. They're not reusing action sequences, and it's also short shots. Yeah. It's not entire sequences or anything. It's literally just oh, Ritsko has to say something dramatic in the in the command yeah. room. Like why not just use the same animation? It's really not. It's, it's also something Anno just likes but... to do stylistically across his body of work including his live action uh films he'll have similar shots like very frequently there'll be new shots yeah but they are deliberately kind of echoing things it's just something he likes doing uh that's the case in eoe as well where eoe has a lot of shots that are completely reanimated they're completely reanimated new aspect ratio higher quality um, yeah. more on model but it's still the same types of shots from the original show and it's just a stylistic choice at that point and re- yeah. he doesn't rebuild too actually. yeah yeah he does <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't really yeah it's just something ano does honestly um yeah and he's like hey yeah, I mean, if if i could save better... money doing it then hell yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that bit with the Magi, though, it makes you think of that moment. It makes you... I mean, because EOE especially is is almost like the closing chapter of the book, and it kind of calls back to almost every single episode mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as you as you go. Is it EOE that has the... No, I think it's 24, where it cuts through every single angel and just displays their names. I think it's that. There's thing. a scene in EOE during instrumentality where it goes through the episode titles, but um, and it shows, like, Oh, no, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So it's recapping the whole thing. That's yeah. the point. Speaking of recapping, <laughs> I didn't even plan that segue, and it's perfect. Yeah, the next episode, episode 14, is pretty infamous for being one of the episodes the Ava fandom doesn't like as much, because it is just mostly, well, it's not mostly, but there's a good 10 minutes worth of recap at the start. It's literally half yeah. the episode because I think I think the recap stops at the the, the um, mid. Yeah, that 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 would be right because twenty four minutes plus opening and ending. Uh, yeah, th- then it would be like half. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and they sort of try to frame it as Sele going over their documents. It's like, what do we know? And yeah. Yeah, because we don't see anything recapped that Sele doesn't know about because Gendo hid the previous episode. He hid everything that happened in that episode from them, but they know it happened anyway. So <laughs> he didn't do a very good job. But <laughs> they mentioned that it's like there's a death penalty for lying to them, which I think is pretty funny because Gendo. I don't know why Gendo would hide that there was the virus, you know, angel. I get that he would hide um, 
uh, other things, but but that one. <laughs> I don't know why he was like, wait, are you saying you weren't attacked by an angel? No, we were attacked by 13 other angels, but not that one. Like, what? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I think it matters because he's trying to... Th- uh, Gendo is trying to throw off Sele from the fact that they've defeated a certain amount of angels because in the Dead Sea Scrolls it says like after X amount of angels the apocalypse will happen and I think if Gendo throws yeah, that never comes if, back if he though. throws them off by one number then he can probably initiate it uh, without them knowing because they think that oh we have one angel <laughs> maybe left. I don't know that's my best guess as to why he'd lie about sure it, it never it just never comes back in the story because they know how many angels are yeah because well, they're the ones counting them down I think in episode 24 they're like ah all but one um yeah anyway so anyway uh yeah and then we have this weird Ray monologue which is very Ray's strange just talking about her character she's saying things like I am like a mountain. I move very I slowly, but there is character development, I swear, because like a mountain, I am moving. I swear. Like, <laughs> Even though I haven't done anything for about 10 episodes, <laughs> I swear, I'm very important. <laughs> I'm not just the mascot. I'm just not just on the cover of the DVD, I swear. <laughs> are you saying that she's the pen pen of the characters that are human? <laughs> no. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> Is Pen Pen the mascot? He's not even in the marketing. I would argue Pen Pen is the Dibby of the show. So a Dibby is uh, essentially a kooky animal character sidekick that uh, is <laughs> it's just... I don't know what the point of Pen Pen is. He's in like four scenes in the whole show. He adds a um, some nice comic comedy uh, relief. Relief. Yes. <laughs> He's very important. If we can get Pen Pen working. If we can get Pen Pen working, he's the key to all this. Yeah. Uh, he's the key to everything. If we can get Ray... He's so important that he's not in the rebuilds. If we can get Ray working. Um, <laughs> and, uh, well, in the rebuilds, he does appear to have had procreated because uh, there's a lot of penguins randomly kind of in the area. But yeah. Okay. I don't remember that. Everyone gets okay. laid and the final movie but anyway uh (laughs) anyway so so the other really important thing from this episode is when unit zero goes yes unit zero goes berserk and attacks ray maybe because shinji's in unit zero and then unit zero goes crazy and decides to kill ray is that right uh Shinji's in the unit, and then the unit goes berserk, and it starts punching the glass where basically all the other main characters are, except Gendo, I think, and the other pilots. So it could be after anybody, but I think the focus is on Ray because Ray doesn't move out of the way, and she just kind of stands yeah. there. But then later on, Ritsuko says, "There's no doubt in my mind, Unit Zero was trying to kill me." Right. Um. So the idea. But that's just her opinion. That's just like her opinion, man. So the idea is that there is a soul inside of each Ava unit, um, and the soul can manifest the unit and go crazy, trying to essentially enact its own will. 
Um, and in this case, a lot of the fans theorize that Ray one soul is inside of it, which is the Ray before the Ray that we know. Because uh, the Ray that we know is Ray two, the second one. Um, yep. Yep. And the first Ray was killed by uh, Ritsuko's mother, Naoko, Naoko Akagi. Yep. And so uh, it is theorized that, you know, she's after Ritsuko because she looks like her mother and Ray one is, yeah, basically out for revenge and using this opportunity to try yep. and kill her or Ray because Ray is another clone of her and maybe she's, she doesn't like that i don't know but whatever <laughs> this part of the show i think is when they kind of lost the lead a little bit and they don't know quite what they're doing but yeah that's fine this uh, epi- I-, I was gonna say that theory doesn't make a ton of sense to me that it's ray one because the rays all share one soul and it keeps moving from ray to ray so i don't know how they made they did a contact because it's, it's a they call it a contact experiment i think when they make an evangelion and the other theory is about nauka which i think has been debunked or something but nauka's essence or something is in the magi system because they mention in that episode that the magi were created using the same technology and the same process as the evangelions so i don't know i don't think ano really knows personally but there we go. It, it apparently has been confirmed in side uh, products, like some PSP game or something, that it's Ray 1. Uh, it doesn't really super matter. Okay. Yeah. It's... It doesn't really matter. That makes no sense to me, but okay. Who cares really what's matter. in Alien Unit at Zero? zero is... Who cares? <laughs> but... Also, Alien at Zero never does anything. <laughs> it's the least important thing in the whole show. Does something good like episode five, and then it never. Oh no, that's not true. That's not true. It does stuff in other episodes, but not very much. It gets seismic slammed by um, Ava Unit Five later. What in nope. the rebuild? In episode like Ava Unit. F- oh, you mean yeah, Ava Unit Four? I mean Ava Unit Four. <laughs> I'm out of it today, man. <laughs> Come on, I expect better. I know I'm supposed to be from the premier youtube evangelion i'm supposed to be like a a mega fan of this and i guess at one point i i was but uh yeah uh i it's been a long time since i did the deep dives into the lores and things like that so i'm a bit rusty on my ava knowledge i'll get back in the swing of things you know eventually new evangelion youtube videos every week (laughs) maybe one more ava youtube video hour-long deep dives but we've run out of material so now it's gonna just be was gendo's grandfather the inventor of oatmeal or something like that (laughs) i think he invented skis actually um my (laughs) okay (laughs) are we ready to talk about Um, the next episode or no there's one more thing uh Oh, the spear launchness, and then at the end, again, uh, <laughs> Fusey's just like sitting around bitching about or whining about. Um, Fusey's sitting around whining about the, the the old senile old men on Sile. They just all they're good for is complaining. How how dare they? 
And uh, and then Gendo just mentions that, oh, yes, everything is proceeding well in all of our plans. And then he lists off a bunch of nonsensical, weird plans that <laughs> we don't know much about. And says, ah, the Spear of Longinus, of course. Ray is taking care of that. So really, all that really establishes is that Gendo really trusts Ray, and he'll have her do these sort of odd, arcane jobs that Shinji knows nothing about, that Masato doesn't even know anything about. We don't about. know about until much, much later. Basically, and that we don't know. Ray is True. taking that spear of Longinus or lance of Longinus, if you want to be old school about it, um, and mm-hmm. she's stabbing Lilith. I think the original Hebrew is. I don't know. I think it's a spear. <laughs> um, but anyway, so spear of Longinus. Well, it'd be, it would be a Hebrew word, but anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it translates more to like spear than a lance. Like oh, lances probably. weren't a thing until medieval times, where with jousting and stuff. So, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the Lance of Longinus sounds way cooler. Anyway, uh, so Ray is down in Terminal Dogma, and she's sealing away, uh, Lilith, um, by using the, the spear to kind of prevent it from growing anymore, because uh, it sort of wants to grow things out into Ava units, and I guess yes. Uh, Ava Unit 1 was derived from it, and it kind of grew from its legs. I'm pretty sure is what the lore is for that, so um, they're preventing it from Uh-oh. creating right. a new Ava Unit, potentially. So, Or to at least keep yeah, it under keep control, because they don't want another impact to happen. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, so, finally, our main episode for today is going to be... The one episode, the, the, the one episode in two gays, one episode, is going to be those women longed for the touch of others and thus invited their kisses. Thusly. Netflix calls it Lies in Silence, but I like those women longed for the touch of others and thus invited their kisses a lot better as a title. Much more yeah, memorable. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mouthful in a good way. <laughs> um, and as we mentioned before, this episode doesn't really have any action. It's all character driven, which is why it's one of my favorite episodes everything has to do with yep. domestic problems and relationships and it really doesn't have any there's not even really problems in this it, episode. It, not really it's it's more of like okay well the problem is you know shinji is needs to go meet with his father and try and form a connection there and he fails to form a connection halfway through the episode and then tries to form a new connection with asuka and then that kind of fails as well so it's sort of yeah, so, so let's go back to kind of what we used to do when we did the first couple episodes of this, where we would go through what's the what's the um, the rising action, what's the call to action, what's the inciting incident. Right. Um, so what's the inciting incident of this episode? So I'd say there's actually, in terms of the structure of it, there's a few kind of inciting incidents for each character. So we have um, Asuka, who we open up with. Kaji, the problem is established that Kaji is not responding to her he's ghosting her he's blocking her from the dms okay and she doesn't like that and (laughs) leaving her on red damn it she doesn't like that she wants to form a bond with him and uh but then like hikari comes up and it's just like girl i need you to hook you up i need to hook you up with someone your own age girl because he'd be way too old for you and so that's kind of her problem being established and the inciting incident there and then shinji i would argue is like staring at ray 
because we learn a little bit later on that he's motivated by the fact that he needs to go visit his father and doesn't really know how to connect um, with his dad. And so is just trying to, he's, he's wondering how to approach Ray and he's being reminded of his mother. And that kind of connects with the whole grave that he's about to go visit with his dad, with his mom. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of just like, Shinji's failing to form bonds throughout this whole episode where at first he tries to connect with Ray and then she kind of just like throws him flat on his butt uh, during this elevator exchange. Uh, and then he fails to connect with his dad and then he fails to connect with Asuka. And so it, this isn't a good episode for Shinji. And then Misato's kind of inciting incident. Uh, Cause I would argue that more than any other episode, this is operating much in a similar structure to Western TV where there's like an A plot, a B plot, C plot. So I'd say like, yeah you know, we, we could argue the A plot is like Misato's plot line where she has to go attend a wedding. Uh, and then B plot is like Shinji mm-hmm. has to go meet with his dad. Uh, and then like C plot is like Asuka's got to try and get Kaji to pay attention to her and, and stuff like that. So, um, or she wants yeah. him to. And, and so we're yeah, kind of, I, I would, I would say we're sort of restructuring it based off of these different plot threads and kind of how they intertwine throughout the episode. Yeah, it it is difficult because I don't I don't think there is a a real strong a plot. Um, I I'd, I'd argue it's largely the Masato yes. bit because that's the one that goes through the whole episode, whereas like the Shinji plot's kind of over by the end of the first act, and then the Asuka Shinji story starts there. <laughs> like there's almost that's almost like segmented kind of yeah because the, the scenes of Asuka kissing Shinji don't really have a lot to do with the Gendo Shinji stuff going on earlier in the episode. I think it does in the sense that Shinji wants to at least get some kind of human or personal connection from someone. And Asuka's looking for that too through Kaji. And so it's kind of like playing into those plot lines and tying them together. Or it's just like... Maybe maybe in the grander scheme of things, but in this story, I don't know if they're related. Um, But I think it's... It's interesting because it does remind me of something more of like a Breaking Bad or a Game of Thrones where you have these mm-hmm. various plot threads that are kind of uh, uh, weaving together into this like tapestry. Um, so you'll cut between like Jamie mm-hmm. Lannister and Tyrion and Jon Snow and those will all have different kind of conflicts going on. Um but this one, this one's kind of like that, but really, really low stakes the whole time. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not the red wedding. It's the. <laughs> it's the Japanese wedding, <laughs> and it's just a wedding. That's <laughs> like, oh my god, it's the red wedding. Why is it called the red wedding? Oh, because the the bride's wearing red. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. That was just the whole thing. <laughs> um. Uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot of character stuff going on at that wedding. Really, uh, we get a lot more of a, a sense, stronger sense of what Masato, because this is really the episode where Masato and Kaji reconcile. This is where they get back together. Yeah, the, their relationship um, is mended after she's been pushing him away and rejecting him, uh, or playing hard to get really mm-hmm. the whole time. There's a yeah, I don't I don't actually play hard to get necessarily, but yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. Yeah. She's resistant to get back together with him, even though she has genuine affection and feelings for him. And ultimately, it is she does love him. She loves him, but she's afraid of what that means because of how similar he is to. Yeah, 
she's been looking for her father yeah. that scares her which is odd but... it's, it's very freudian yeah it's just like electra complex af um but this has some of my favorite moments in the whole series. Like the part with Kaji and Misato and Misato is having this freak out moment and then he kisses her and there's that fly me to the moon on the piano that comes in. It's such a yeah. beautiful scene. If, if you're watching it on the old TVD. Yes. Right if you're watching it on Netflix, you're not going to have fly me to the moon there, which is, which I think is the, um, this and the part where she's on the answering machine later and there's fly me to the moon the absence of fly me to the moon mm -hmm. is most felt in those two scenes so yeah because uh, that was supposed to tie back into this scene you know yeah, um absolutely 100 percent. i i like i like the intensity and how adult the conversation is between kaji and masada and how messy it is because a lot of people would be like oh it's toxic it's problematic and it, it is it absolutely is that they're talking this way and that he's he's kind of forcing himself on her a little bit um not to it's so complicated i wouldn't say that's totally true but that's happening a little bit and she's she's drunk out of her mind and he's probably drunk too and the scene ends with her vomiting in an alley and uh yeah and it's it's just a lot of she can't really trust him either we find out by the end of this episode she can't really believe what he says because he's always lying he's a double agent and i think that's a big part of this episode yeah him being it, it sort of opens actually with him being a sneaky sneaky agent person uh getting information from this cat lady it all comes back to the ford flip yeah it's it all really yeah exactly <laughs> the dive roll um <laughs> He's, he's dive rolling on Misato's relationship and she doesn't know how to feel about that. <laughs> is it, is it authentic or is it, is it a role? You know, I don't, um, <laughs> he's put, he's putting on a really role. Did you love me or was it just a role you were hired to play? <laughs> yeah. They don't say that in the episode, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so i think she is sort of aware that he's up to something and it is does that mean that his feelings for her are authentic or is he just bsing and i don't know if she can yeah you're right about that trust issue there um it's a little bit of a trust issue but i think it's actually resolved at the end of the episode <laughs> having said that i think when he she confronts him about it i think he actually is rather earnest with her in that moment some totally contradictory what I just said, but I, I, I didn't think it through properly, I guess. Well, one thing I really... One, another scene I really like is the scene where Shinji confronts his father at the graveyard. Because it is really authentic, where there's obviously like a lot of tension that Shinji has with his dad. And it doesn't mm -hmm. go disastrously, but it doesn't go well. It's kind of disappointing in a real and genuine you know an authentic way i think in the context of the show and for shinji it did go well i think shinji thinks that was that went well that was like a good interaction it's hard to say because his father didn't you know tell him to get lost yeah his because he spends the rest of the episode pretty happy he's not like upset or anything he's pretty he's pretty content with himself he basically i i read that as sort of like a fail to connect because of the way the cinematography is done where he says um you know oh i had this really great time 
and he's just like sure buddy and then he takes off in a helicopter like a futuristic uh space shuttle thing space helicopter yeah and 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 then and and then we get this really vulnerable shot of just like shinji looking up at it and it's this long shot from a pie and he's uh he, his shadow is paralleling that of, of the graves and things like that. It just doesn't read as, like, very happy at the very end. That's a happy interaction in the Akari household. <laughs> we went to a grave. I asked him some questions. He didn't tell me to get lost. And then he flew away in his space copter. It was the greatest interaction me and my father have ever had. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's better than being, you know, left at the train station. But, you know, being left at the graveyard instead. <laughs> Should you just look at the grave and says, do you have any pictures of mom, dad, dad? And then the, the space copter's just taking away. I don't even know what he's doing to get, like, the thing is, how's he getting back home, you know? It's just like, dad. I don't know. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> she just abandoned him in the middle of this, like, miles, cubic miles. I mean, maybe, like, Masato... No, Masato's not coming by later. <laughs> She's at the but maybe, wedding. like, the nerve bodyguards are coming by later in, like, a car or something she, she to take She just has home. to take the fucking subway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, <laughs> anyway, the next... What, what does he actually say, though? What does Gendo actually say when he says, I had a nice time today? Doesn't he just say, like, soul Yeah, he's like, I see. <laughs> he says, I see, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, is that right? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was the nicest thing my father had ever said to me. (laughs) Following that up, we get the cello scene, which is, I think, the most significant and important scene uh, for Shinji's character uh, in the the first two-thirds of the show, I would say. Um, Because he's playing this cello... Asuka comes in, she compliments him, which is really actually, she which applauds. is cool. Like, really you know, that's the thing is that Asuka is usually painted by the community as this terrible shrew of sorts. And yeah. uh, she she kind of is sometimes, but there are moments. She's just very German, honestly. We, we know German people. <laughs> we, we know. You know, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, but she, uh, she actually recognizes that he's talented and at this thing or and can do that and is impressed with him and is willing to actually um sort of praise someone else which is crazy because she's always looking for praise you know and and so is he and it's, it's just nice that these two characters or this character can you know put aside her pride for one second and actually compliment another person it, it humanizes her and it makes them yeah it humanizes her and it makes them likable i think uh or more likable uh and then shinji you know she asks you know oh how long have you been playing the cello and he's been saying you know i I used to play it when i was a kid uh but you know it's and um she asks she asks him why he plays it like why do you play the cello and he says um because nobody she's he says he says, I don't really like it, though. And she says, if you don't like it, why do you keep playing it? And then because he says, nobody, nobody told, told me to stop. stop. <laughs> exactly. And that, that has yeah. a broader implication in terms of what motivates him as a character. He's extremely subservient, extremely submissive. And he does things that he doesn't like doing, a.k.a. piloting Ava 
uh, for the sake of just like, because he's he's so confused as to what to do and so helpless in, in some ways that it's easier to just listen to and do things that other people expect of him than take matters into his mm -hmm. own hands and actually do something that he wants to do, which has to do with his like bigger character arc in the whole series. Like the series as a whole is largely about Shinji mm -hmm. taking charge and deciding to have the agency to stop instrumentality. Um, kind of funny word instrumentality as well, considering he's playing an instrument. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is also like the midpoint yes. of the show, really. Um, uh, this is just before everything goes really badly. So I'd say this is almost, in a way, this is kind of the end of part one a little bit. It, things are going to take a dark turn from oh, no, sorry. here on out. This is the end of our act two, I'd say more, because this is when everything's really nice. That's why I was trying to argue that that graveyard scene is supposed to be a positive scene, <laughs> that this is when everything's going really well in Shinji's life. He's starting to have a relationship with his father. He lives in a home with two sexy ladies. Well, he lives in a home with two girls that he likes, that he has a, a connection with. Um, he has, things are going well in his life. He's being praised. He's being, everything is kind of looking up Shinji a little bit. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, in spite of the things that do go wrong for him in this episode, like I wouldn't, I would say the kiss scene definitely goes wrong between him and Asuka. Well, I think that's when but, things start to sour, I think. Yeah, they, they definitely, the, the it's still ultimately okay. Like things are stable. Um, and then episode 16 and onward is just everything falling apart from here on out. Yeah, the, yeah 16 is when everything starts to fall apart. Shinji starts feeling good about himself, and then everything goes wrong. <laughs> so we have uh, that scene with Kaji and Misato kissing, and then we follow that up immediately with the scene of Shinji and Asuka kissing, which is... Other way around, but yeah. No, no, no. I just... I'm, I'm in the episode. Yeah. Oh, is it? It's... Oh, I had it. Oh, yeah. shoot. Okay. Sorry. I have the episode up, but, um, but basically, so you have that really nice parallel, like, uh, narrative-wise, where you have those two plot threads kind of um, back to back in that way. Like Misato finds comfort in Kaji and there is a connection that is formed there. And then Asuka and Shinji try to do the same thing. And Asuka is just like, ew, gross. You're a terrible kisser. This is the worst day of my life. <laughs> um, yeah. There's also a moment earlier and I remembered what it was and I don't remember where it is, but there's a moment where I remembered what the question was. Asuka asked Masato, you bought a new dress. Did you buy something for Kaji? Did you buy something that Kaji would like? And she says, no, I don't do that anymore. And I think subtly, that was Asuka asking Masato, are you still into Kaji? Are you guys still dating? That was her like, it's weird for Asuka to not be direct, but that was her sort of subtle way of asking that. Yeah. I don't know where that is in the episode because I couldn't find it when we were looking at the earlier, but I know it's in there somewhere. And then later, after all these scenes, I'm pretty sure that's seven minutes in. When she in, smells by the way. that, l that's seven I'm minutes sorry? in. Oh, it is in the episode. Okay, good. Where um, she smells the lavender perfume, which they've established is kind of, is almost a metaphor for like um, being a woman, being an adult, being sexual. She smells it on Kaji, implying that, oh, 
they were together tonight. Yeah, they got really you know, close. They spent most of their time with Masato vomiting in a in an alley. But uh, I think Asuka is assuming that they got intimate there, and that definitely and she's kind of that right. definitely puts her off, and um, and she gets really angry with Shinji. She takes it out on him after that, mm-hmm. and uh, which yeah. which just like crushes him a little more. Especially after their failure to, to like, have have well, a nice the, moment after together. the kiss. I don't know how he feels about that kiss because he wasn't that. It wasn't something he really wanted. Well, he she was be, of, he was being competitive like, about it, right? Where she was just like, "I bet you couldn't kiss me good or whatever." And then he was like, "Well, here I come, so <laughs> I'm gonna do it." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and because I'm a man, and I think that this scene is about demon. De- and men are men kiss this women is about demasculating him Sorry. in i think you know it's it's yeah. there are some crazy people out there who think that they banged actually after this and that just makes no sense to me but that's that there's a theory sense. that like during this episode like after this episode they they decided to get intimate as well and everything about uh this is about demasculating Shinji, making him feel bad for not being a man. Emasculating. Yeah, or like yeah. emasculating Shinji, making him feel bad as a man. And and mm-hmm. his and and Asuka's there's no way, especially after how upset she is about Kaji rejecting her. At least she perceives it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wouldn't just like jump yeah, into Shinji's bed. <laughs> so that would be really weird. Yeah, and, and she's not available. That's the other thing. She's very unavailable. Yeah. She's emotionally unavailable, and she's, and, I mean, she's a 14 year old girl. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's healthy. I just think it's really kooky that there are fans that theorize that. That's like a pretty popular theory. Um, but I, I just don't. See I do it. think it's interesting that Asuka finds Shinji's cello playing sexy kind of that's kind of the inference here i think that's why she you play the cello really well i think that's why she even humored the idea of kissing him you know it's she's curious about it's because it's like well there is actually things i don't know about him and he is talented you know at the maybe he can meet Mm -hmm. me on my level in that way uh besides just being and maybe she's disappointed about her date and she is disappointed about her date that she went on with Hikari's brother. Is that right? Her friend. Yeah, it's someone's. She somebody. hooked up with. He's hot. She said he's hot. Yeah. But I guess he's boring. <laughs> Whereas, like, Shinji's an Ava pilot. He's more of somebody interesting, I guess. Potentially. Yes. I think that, that, yeah. He's a musician. He's um. an artist. <laughs> I didn't know he was an he's artist. An artist. <laughs> He can play cello suite number five like a god. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, then we have the final scene, which I think is really cool. Is Because uh, you, you don't expect this scene. The episode's kind of over, and then we get this scene where Kaji is breaking into the chamber of... Is it the chamber of... No, it's not the chamber of Goff. It's, is it just Terminal Dogma? Terminal Dogma, yeah. What? Yeah, Terminal, terminal Dogma. or Central Dogma. He's breaking Whatever. into... Central Dogma? Whatever it's called. Anyway, like... Lilith's house. Breaking into Lilith's house. <laughs> knocking on and, the door. Uh, knocking on Heaven's door. He's yeah. knocking on Heaven's door. Uh, he's a, uh, and he's he's about to open the door when Masato pops up behind him with a gun. He's got a gun pointed at his head and says, "I I know what you've been up to. You shouldn't have underestimated me. I know you're a double agent. I know you're a spy. I know you're working for the Japanese government. 
and uh, it's going to get you killed. And then Kaji just kind of shrugs and goes like, no, nah, no. Nah. Like, Kaji is so sure that Nerve is not going to kill him, which I think is true. I don't think Nerve is the one that ended up doing him in. I don't think they really cared about him. Nerve themselves? Probably not, no. But I think Sele, no. the larger organization, yeah. Sele, yeah, Sele or the government, I think, was... I mean, that's another episode we'll um, talk later. But... but, okay, so then we see Lilith with the spear that we saw in the previous episode, kind of. Uh, yes. Yeah. Right, yeah, and, and after they have their little conversation, their tit-for-tat little conversation where she says, she's like, how's your head? How's your hangover? And she says, it's fine now. Um, saying she's got a clear head. It's the morning. And I, I think this is kind of him almost opening up to her. And he reveals, like, he's like, I'm so sorry I lied to you. I'm sorry I lied to you. It was part of my job or whatever. And then he says, but you know what? Gendo and Ritsuko have been lying to you too. And here's the proof. And he shows her Lilith. Yeah. And as she was unaware about Lilith's existence. And from here on out, she's going to get kind of really suspicious about Nerve and the greater goings on there. Because she was not privy to any of this. And like, why do they have an angel here? Uh, what you, They need it for instrumentality. But she doesn't even know about instrumentality or like what the purpose is of keeping this angel alive. Because this angel is a huge risk factor. It's like what the... Uh, she doesn't even know yeah. anything about the Avas. <laughs> so... She doesn't know what the Avas are. She thinks they're it's robots. All, more than Shinji, we learn about the larger world through Misato as a deuteragonist. So. Yes. And this is the beginning of that because she's really the one who investigates that yeah. stuff and explains it. Um, which is cool. I like that. It, it adds like a... It, I like that it too. adds like there's a Cthulian element to Evangelion and, and an unknowability and kind of like trying to uncover the what is unknowable and the greater goings on. And it's cool to be able to get glimpses into that it makes you want you want to investigate as well uh when masato is doing that so it's cool it, it's also yeah i i love that i love that aspect of evangelion and it's more apparent in other episodes but where the angels aren't rational there's nothing rational or logical or um deterministic about them really they're they're just or maybe they're deterministic but they're, they're just animals basically they're other extraterrestrial beings that are doing things we can't even comprehend because they don't think like us or act like us yeah they're way of they're not it's, it's like could you imagine a world populated with a specific species of angel how would that even what would that even look like <laughs> so it's like, yeah yeah well they're, they're just so beyond everything in terms of their physicality too because they're not um they're not uh they're not celestial in the sense that they're transparent or beyond they're, they're very physical they're very physical and almost rubbery <laughs> in terms of their bodies and their, their they, the animators just do such a good job establishing what they're like yeah. i think and that's it for today unless you have anything else that's it for today i don't really have anything else to add we covered a lot love those who have been long for the touch of others and those who invited their kisses one of my favorite episodes of a tv show ever love yeah, it yeah it's it's interesting how it contrasted against one of the worst episodes of the show which is the episode 14 the last one so which i don't even know the name of. um those who ignored this episode mostly and just skipped to the <laughs> after the recap <laughs> those who looked back on previous episodes <laughs> and thus invited their perceptions um 
I'd love it if every episode had that like title. Yeah. Magma Diver was called That Girl Who Aspired to Scientifically Spelunk Inside of a Lava and Got Burnt for It or whatever. Yeah. Um so this has been Goat Jesus. And I'm Alex, and thanks for yeah. listening. And once again, we should have a bonus episode accompanying this episode. So check that out. Subscribe to us on Patreon if that's what you're interested in. And have yeah. a great day. Bye.